podcast fans of After Further Review, I just wanted to play that out just a bit. Boy, oh boy, Johnny. That song, it just yep. has major legs. I'm telling you, it just has major, major legs. And we are um, we are glad to be back because we had to uh, kind of uh, forego our, our past show. And it's interesting. You know, we haven't done a show in five days. And normally, you know, guys like you and me, Johnny, with our proclivities, we'd welcome that. Yeah. We'd welcome not having to focus on anything or actually do anything. Just being left alone. You know me. That's that's it. I just yeah. want to be left alone. Leave me alone. Exactly. And, and, you know, you have to get over that. And I appreciate that. I, I actually give you a lot of props that you just, by definition, have to get over that when you have to interact with Jeff and I every other day. And, uh, and, and you didn't have to do that for five days. Yes, you had to do chores and projects around the house, which we're all very impressed with. Uh, but at the same time, you didn't have to be forced to interact with people that you may not have wanted to interact with in the last five days. Yeah, and I wouldn't take that personally. I just don't basically want to interact with anyone. I don't take it personally. I, I, don't, I don't take it personally. But that said, I bet you're, I bet you're happy to be back on some level. I am, and I have to take full responsibility for the Friday show. I had an optometrist appointment. Look at you being all mature. I know, I know, and I'd scheduled it ahead of time. I'd scheduled it, you know, I did that thing where a year ago, they're like, do you want to schedule? Why? What's the freaking point of that anyway? Does anybody remember a year later? Put put it in your phone. Shut up. I have things to do. I'm not going to put it in my phone. Uh, So I'd forgotten, and I got the reminder and it's just one of those things where, again, during this quarantine, you know, days, dates, yeah. uh, they, they yeah. really they have a lot less meaning than they used to. And I didn't realize that it was scheduled right in the middle of when we record our show. And you mentioned and, it that I that I now have hand because this YouTube yeah. uh, launch <laughs> has been, uh, you know, has been abridged uh, to, you know, to, to put it lightly, you know, four, five, six times now. Sure. There was one point in time where I was all ready. You know, you mentioned this last episode. I'm all ready and raring to go with ideas. How to reintroduce ourselves. How to not rebrand ourselves, but let let the new listeners know who we are or viewers. And you're going, uh, Mark, have we promoted this? Do we actually have the channel? Right. It uh, it reminded me of an uh, event I did, you know, 20 years ago with this film guys thing that I did with Jerry Isinger, uh, the radio show. And we had this big, big thing planned for all of these listeners and spots, potential sponsors. And it, we were going to have it at this, uh, you know, location that I went by one time cursorily, just went by to make sure it was OK. And it was close. It was closed. Yeah. And so the night they showed up. Anyway, it was wow. it, reminded, it reminded me of that. It, it reminded me of uh, so I really dropped the ball. But for you to forget it, an appointment that you had for a year, and it resulted in us canceling a show. I'm a bad person. I, I, no, no, no. I just basically have hand, and I just think, frankly, even though I'm Jeff has defined us, I'm the sociopath. You're the psychopath. Mm-hmm. As a sociopath, I know the big picture for people to think I'm better than I am is to be generous with holding hand. You, if you had hand, you would take full advantage yeah. and crush me Yes, be- because that is what you want. You just want that individual dominance. You want to be better than everyone else in the room or yeah. smarter than everyone else in the room. I, I just want the big picture 
for people to love me more than anyone else. So I'm going to I'm just going to kind of hold this hand. Yeah. You you want to be loved. I want to be left alone. So for me, an opportunity to overplay my hand, offend you, drive a wedge into this into this partnership and this friendship, perhaps <laughs> it works. erasing you from my life forever. No, it uh, works. It's tempting. It's tempting. It really is. It really is. I get it. I get it, John. And I don't take it personally because anyone in my position would would be subject to that kind of wrath. Listen, this is one of the least (laughs) disturbingly unenjoyable moments I have with people, you know, doing the show because it's. Yeah, well, I could all, just close up the computer and walk away at any time. I like that. I love having an exit strategy. Sure. And that's the problem when you meet people like out and about. The exit strategy, very, very important when you meet someone. I don't know about you, but the minute I walk in a room, I'm looking for an exit. I'm looking for a potential weapon should anything happen. Very Larry David of you. You're very Larry David, uh, John. Oh, I appreciate that. You really are. I you appreciate really are. that. Wow. Yes. All right. And, and high and praise. I, it is. And I will say, too, that every time you see Larry David do anything else, like if he does a Bernie, if he just it's it seems like he rolls in to 30 Rock and does a Bernie Sanders. And if there's eight or nine people doing imitations of candidates, he's always the one that knocks it out of the park. It feels yeah. like he's worked on it. It feels like he's th- thought about it, worked on it. And and knocked it out. And well, I, I always he, appreciate I, that. And whenever you perform, John, I appreciate it. It's, it you, you always bring your A game as a performer. Right. I won't say that about anything else in your life. But as no. a performer, your bar is very high. I, yeah, I don't. Um, I, and I think some of it has to do with the fact that, you know, I, I think Sanders is essentially, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Larry David, essentially playing himself as Bernie Sanders. You know, it's it's not an impersonation. Like you, I would say Alec Baldwin's Trump is more of an impersonation. Right. Uh, but the thing is, you know, he's playing those aspects of Sanders character that are his aspects, you know, easily fed up with things. Oh, it's all over. Stop it. You know, he's it's got that vibe. And, and you know me when I play a character or when I'm doing a show with you as John Pelkey usually don't do character names and things. But uh I'm it's essentially me. It's a heightened version of you. Yeah, I it's the the character I play is generally moderately confused. Um but then generally angry. Generally angry and and with moderately some confused and generally angry. And with some misplaced sense of superiority and sure. faux intellectualism that um you know, I guess combined with your wit works. Right, right, and people people buy it. But you know, uh, I always say people, uh, people, it's it's easy to fool some people because you and I have been getting away with it for a, for a long time. We parlayed it into into no a career part, that we will uh, never ha- have again. Good point. Yeah, we parlayed it into absolutely nothing. But uh, yeah, so just want to accept full responsibility that it, it was an optometrist appointment. I had to get sure. new glasses. Um, I found out that the glasses that I'm wearing because I've lost a couple pair are four years old, um, and that's what I've been dealing with. And every year my prescription changes, so I will have new glasses within the week, and I'll be able to see better. So So I might be a little less cranky. So every year your prescription changes? That seems like a racket to me. Why wouldn't wouldn't they give you a prescription that could adjust to your changing, uh, uh, you know, or to your regressing eyesight? You realize that glasses are inanimate objects. It's not as if they can grow or... 
I would think they would be somewhat self-aware at this point. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, not the ones they'll give us. I'm sure they do have the self-aware glasses. I'm I'm sure somewhere the star chamber people that run the world, there's just like an eyeball replacement every time. You know, you can get, hey, you know what? My vision says 30-50 now. What color do you want? I'm going to go with hazel. It it looks looks good. I I like to wear red. It does seem like that because Rupert Murdoch, how how old is he? 91, 92? It's like he's just being self-generated. Every five, every probably every six months at this point in time. Right. And he just seems to sort of maintain his age at 78 and it just goes on and on. So, yeah, obviously he's part of that star chamber and obviously part of, you know, what he his glasses are self-aware and they can adjust to his diminishing eyesight. Right. Yeah. No, not every year I have to get a new prescription. Every year. I was told by my optometrist did tell me that at a point, once you get past 55 and I'll be 56 in July into your late 50s, 57, 58, your prescription then starts to change less and less to the point where that part of your eye is where it's going to be. Okay. After that, you're dealing with issues like, uh, uh, disease and uh, other issues for cataracts, you. cataracts, that sort of thing. Glaucoma. So, sure. I still got disease. that. Look, that looks, I got that to look disease. forward to. Disease. You know, folks, this is after further review and just seems to me that disease will be a, a, a topic that just sort of grows and grows as this show hopefully right. continues. Hold you in your, my armchair. What does it hold you in your armchair? Let me. <laughs> your disease come together man one of the greatest one of the greatest all right so jeff uh the fact that we didn't do a show friday gave you you know kind of a long weekend were you happy about that did it matter is your is your life so unaffected by this show that that uh you know it's it's just a blip or, or or was it a significant thing in your life that you had friday off it uh, it bummed me out to be honest with you. I'm glad see, that John was able to go. go see his eyes, get his eyes checked out. I'm glad that they were able to realize that uh, his neglect of optometrist appointments for the last four <laughs> years has uh, finally become detrimental to his vision. But if I I'm went, being I selfish, lost my glasses. I'm that old guy now who loses his glasses every year. If I'm being selfish, uh, I was a little disappointed. You know, I. I uh, I get fired up for two o'clock Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I love it, brother. I love it a lot. All right. So speaking of fired up, let's do some progressive trivia. I'm, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stick with football. We had a comment, uh, John, who I, I think, what was the comment? Like, should we? St- there are more than three, yeah, sports. There, yeah. And and what did that person want? Did they want hockey? Did they want lacrosse? Did they want NASCAR? What did they want? Golf? I think I think anything other than the ones we've been doing. I think it's that that direction you and I have gotten so frequently. Everything you're doing is wrong. <laughs> and I think that was kind of the comment was, All "Hey right, man, listen to the show, Progressive Trivia. All wrong. There are more right. than three sports. So just lamenting that we don't do things outside of football." baseball and basketball and, and, and rarely frankly, rarely basketball actually right. we only had a couple and frankly it's just because we're we're a couple of things we're lazy we are and some of the other ones are more difficult to do and it's particularly difficult to do some of those if you are trying to as i do you're trying to make at least the first round of clues a difficult guess you know you really want to weed out you know the the easy ones um, and secondarily, uh, the baseball one is just because the greatest website ever uh, on the face of the earth is baseballreference.com. And the more so, often you can go on that, the better your life is. 
That's true, ladies and gentlemen and others. Uh, we want you, if you're listening, to chime in on podcast AFR, podcastafr at gmail.com and tell us a sport you really want a progressive trivia about. If you want more hockey, if you want more NBA, if you want golf, if you want tennis, if you want uh, MLS, NASCAR, I mean, seriously, if you are listening to the show and you're frustrated by the myopic progressive trivias that we present, then chime in. This is your way to do it. This is your, you know, uh, I don't know. I was just going to say way to do it. I have no other vocabulary. You know what? Some people have point. a way with words. Other people not have way. way. <laughs> See, and then I just step on your joke. You too, did. So. You really did. You're, yeah, be, so you're becoming like a, you, you're becoming a, a, a less tolerable Jay Leno. See, you've accused me of that for years, and it's like, God, I always on everybody the joke. best the so anyway, Jay, I'm walking into a barber shop. Willie, we get your haircut. Well, you get your haircut. No, Jay, I, it's for the purpose of the I joke. Know. So anyway, I sit down in the chair, and the barber says, "Whoa, wait, wait, man or a woman? Shut up, Jay, for God's sake!" I know, and I've seen stuff. I've seen stuff like with him and Jay, uh, with Dana Carvey, other just brilliant comedians, and they they just they do their best to just tolerate him. Mm-hmm. He's so highly mediocre. And the fact that you're saying that the best I can ever be is a poor man's mediocre performer. <sighs> anyway, it's fine. I deserve it. Okay. M- NFL MVP. This guy was an MVP. All right. We'll start there. How about that? That's big. That's a major clue. There's only so many of those people played for one head coach. My first eight years in the league, one head coach and five different head coaches. My last six years. How about that clue, Johnny? Mm-hmm. One head coach, first eight years in the league, five different head coaches in my last six years. Played with Seth Joyner, Bobby Brister. And I lost two bowl games in college. Giving you a college clue, John, early to Washington and Tennessee. See, John, John is actually a genius when it comes to this stuff. He lost two bowl games in college. To Washington and Tennessee. Those are the two, Washington and, and Tennessee. And those are the only two bowl games he played in. So those are the first clues. Let's talk about Long Gone. You mentioned it uh, earlier. I made a guess, by the way. In our pre-show. Let's see. Here we go. Let's see what it is. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. John Pelkey. Man, oh, man. I'm telling you, college football. It, no. That wasn't the giveaway. You know what the giveaway was for me? Was the head coach thing. Really? Yeah, yeah, that just struck me. And also, I knew the MVP. Sure. Uh, the MVP thing is, that's a big that's a big one. Um, and uh, the, really, the college one didn't help me beyond the fact that I, the, the teams didn't help me. But I did just because, you know, I know college football a little, and there, there are some other um, geographical reasons. Uh I knew he didn't have a lot of success in postseason games in college. Ah, look at you. So there you go. Congratulations. You got to be feeling good about this. I do really feel good about it. Yeah, Frank. you should. You should feel very, very good about this. All I right. Just so did a day off. So Pulled John, me out of the yeah. rotation for Friday. You know, I was, I was scheduled to pitch on Friday, and right. the arm was feeling a little fatigued. The eyes were feeling fatigued. Couldn't see the catcher. Couldn't see the sign. Sure. So I got. I took the weekend off, and uh, look at me. You come in, and you've got your best stuff. And rest is important, Mark. Got to build people in the rest. 
I know. That's that's like the last lesson I've learned. I've learned about hydration. I've learned about plant-based diet. <laughs> I've learned about getting your steps in. Yeah. But the last thing I've learned about is sleep because I just, you know, I, w- I want to sleep when I want to sleep. And Are you still so, up late at nights? Do you still do you still keep the late night hours? I, I really don't because I just end up falling asleep. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that if I do get to bed early, I'll wake up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and I and then I and then I can't get back to sleep, even though I'm a narcoleptic. I, I, I do have a narcoleptic, you know, oh, I've been there for it. Major streak in me, but uh, yeah. you know I've got I've I've just got a a plethora I, I've got a plethora of issues, John. As you know, I, I think right, you so should what, get a get a sleep mask. Just telling you right now, is it a yeah. mask? I, other other friends of mine have <laughs> have have suggested drugs. Have suggested sure. over the counter over the counter pills. Uh huh. I don't I don't just know if I believe in that. Get get yourself a sleep mask. I remember. Yeah, my daughter, my daughter's boyfriend, telling you. They all, they all, they all, what, why does that, how does I, that help? I tell you, I have a sleep mask. I also have earplugs that I can uh, sometimes wear. And we have a sound machine, so it makes it always sound like it's raining in the room, because rain, you know, sleeping in rainstorms is great. Um, but I found that it was, you said you wake up in the middle of the night, and that'll happen to me, too. If, I, if I'm asleep by, you know, 11, 11.30, I usually wake up around 3.30, so 4 in the morning. Sure. And, uh, well. your first cycle has happened. Yeah, and, you know, at, at my age, I generally probably have to go to the bathroom obviously, at that point. Obviously. Um, but then going back to sleep, yeah, sometimes start, things starting to lighten up a little bit in the room. So I think try the sleep mask. I have I have one to recommend. You can you can, you can get it on the uh, the Internet machine. You know, I'll pass I, that all along to you. All right, I appreciate that. I'm just confronted with everything, you know, at 3.30 in the morning. I'm confronted with everything. It, right. It's all very it's clear. clear. That's why you need to surround yourself with hoopla. You got. You need to be knee deep in the hoopla. The I quote I, starship. I need to go out and watch a movie, and that'll put me yeah. back to sleep. If you're knee deep in the hoopla, then the voices that, that come from within, the ones With, that require, you know, oh, yeah. uh, self examination and things. Oh yeah, you, you can hear them. Oh, I can always hear them at three thirty. It's like God yeah. Almighty, you're clear as a bell, and it's true. And my oh my, I have not only wasted my life, but I've let so. Many people down, and you can get yourself some Bluetooth ear earphone uh, earphones too. I do. I did that. I think I've said this on the show the other night, uh, the other day. Is that sometimes I'll sleep with the Bluetooth earphones and listening to something, and you know my weird thing. I listen to World War II radio or yeah, every single broadcast of the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, it really helps me sleep. All right, fair um, enough. but the other day I listened to like Game One of the nineteen seventy four World Series. I listened to that broadcast. So Dodgers A's. You're working on that, that deep dive, my man. man You're working A's. on that. Look 70s at you. A's, dude. dude. 70s A's. I cannot wait. I cannot. I mean, wait. I did. I'd forgotten. Uh, and just, I'll give people uh, a, a, a quick uh, glance to show a little trailer here. I'd forgotten that uh, Reggie was injured in '72 yeah. to play in the series. No, the how it one. happened. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't have gotten there without him, and no. suddenly he's gone. Yeah, uh, just just great. It's such and, a great story. And they story. still beat the Reds, which is one of the classic World Series of all time. Mark Anderson and the Reds are the Tony Lewis and the A's of the uh, of the seventies to some degree. But then they win two in a row. Right. A, it, you know, the first one in a classic fashion, the second one in a dominating fashion. So it's it's a little different. But the seventy two World Series, Johnny, goes seven games, 
and is uh, lost to history, if you ask me, it in is. terms of how classic that World Series is. Yeah, absolutely. Look well, like I hope, the, that, I hope that comes up in our in our Friday will. podcast. It will. It will come up in our Friday deep dive into your, the nineteen seventies uh, Oakland A's. All right. So quickly, what your what is your thought on uh, long long gone? Well, I, I was a little disappointed in it. I it was a, it was. I thought it was a you had said it earlier because I I talked off the air about the fact that for a documentary, I really wanted it to answer some questions that I had or maybe uh, engender more conversation. It it was a little more of a reminiscence, I think, is a good word for it to try to remember that time, because it is the only time that I remember in my life. And again, I'll be 56 in July and I've been watching baseball probably since, you know, I went to my first game when I was five, but seven or eight years old when I started. Basically, fi- basically 50 years. Yeah. Um, it was really the first time in my lifetime that regular season baseball of any sort was must see viewing for any extended period of time. It really went through the last eight weeks of the season, probably that we were checking in constantly. Every baseball game that you watched in every market would break in on McGuire and Sosa at bats. I mean, you'd be watching the Orioles and the Tigers, and they'd go away from the game you were watching or put it in a small box and go to that. It it really was the one time in my life that I remember where Major League Baseball, other than in a World Series, a shortened series-type situation, Major League Baseball was at the uh, at, at the fore in our um, in in society. It was the thing we were talking about. And I like that about that. It brought that it brought that reminiscence to the front and helped me remember that, to your point, it was front and center. The only other times I can remember baseball being front and center in front of every other story in the United States, sports-wise, the 4 postseason, obviously, with Boston and, and, and New York, I think that brought it to the fore. And the 16 postseason with the Cubs, and certainly that World Series. But in terms of a day-to-day thing, you're absolutely right. You know, for you're, not for two weeks or three and weeks. I, I think it inaugurated in a lot of ways because the internet was about three years old. We didn't necessarily have to wait to for Sports Center to get any update. We were doing it in real time for the first time. It was really. As a country, we were following breaking news as it happened, if you will, and accepting the idea of news gathering as opposed to news reporting through sports. That was the perfect way to sort of get us into that as a society. If, If you think about it, if you really think about it, it really was the first time that happened. It was also just a year, you know, it set the, it set the stage for all the impeachment things the, the following year, and it set the stage for everything that's happened in the last 20 years. It, I, I, when I watched it, it gave me the sense of, of history. It gave me a sense of nostalgia, but it also gave me a sense of, of influence in terms of a social gathering and a, and a and a and a and the entire country getting together to watch something happening as it happened and to me to me we haven't been the same since mm. if you think about it since 98 
We have not been the same. We have been reliant on on minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day breaking news. Well, we have, I, I we have not lived in any other society since then. No, and that was not very yeah. articulate because I'm not doing well. I, I think I'm losing it. But do you get the point? Not enough. Sleep, get what I'm trying to say. Not enough sleep. Underhydrated. Is that what's happening? Is no, I'm, I'm 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 hydrated. I understand the importance of water. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I I also think you no. Know, you make a good point, but I also think what it uh, where it was different, very different, is again in the in the length of time because now. You know, we move on from one story to the next so quickly, and it's why we're kind of a football nation, because you have a weekend's worth of games, and then you move on, and there's the next weekend's worth of yeah, games. And baseball is Baseball is such a slog. It is such a long haul, and no individual baseball team really tells you any story in regards to the season itself. Worst team in baseball could beat the best by 15 runs in any individual game. What we were... We were dialing into the the entire story. We were we were watching it chapter by chapter, and we don't uh, we turn the page much more quickly now. It's one of the reasons you know people who argue that baseball needs to make some changes to get younger fans is that it isn't it isn't an inst- instantly gratifying sport necessarily, and there was instant gratification in that, um, but it just continued on for so long that that it. Again, in July, how many people pay attention to regular season baseball? Well, I think that's I think that's an important point, John, because people often refer to that season as the reason why baseball was able to get healthy again after the 94 strike. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a narrative that's out there. But yeah. I don't think that narrative is true because 95, the viewership waned. But in 96, it gained. In 97, it gained. He's about 5% each year. And you had the resurgence to the Yankees, too, which actually added to that, as much as I hate to admit it. In 98, it gained. But, I mean, in 98, it did not gain more than it did in 96 or 97. This was already on the way back. It wasn't about baseball. It was about the home runs. Yeah, it was a cultural event. It was about the home runs. and, And to your point, baseball never has that. Never has a sustained story. We don't have a sustained story. You know, we had the impeachment. We had the Russian collusion thing. We had, you know, Watergate. We have we had Monica Lewinsky. We have sustained stories, but they're they're few and far between because it's normally three days, and we've moved on. We've moved on. I mean, this unfortunate thing that happened in Atlanta couple of nights ago with that person who unfortunately resisted arrest. And if you ask me, I don't know why they're handcuffing him because he failed a breathalyzer. Like, just get someone to pick him up. I've frankly had that happen to me where I, you know, was I've had that happen to me. And they said, just have someone pick you up. And that's because my tone is different. I mean, I totally agree with that. But my point is, is that the George Floyd thing probably would have started fading away after a week or two if this other, you know, if these other things have, haven't happened. And this story maintained, other stories maintained, 
It's noteworthy when stories continue to maintain and we check into them every day, two times a day, three times a day. And this is Major League Baseball, for crying out loud, which is the sport that is anathema to checking in every day. I right. think that's what's noteworthy about right. this whole thing. I think it's it's a good reminder of how different this thing was from anything we'd experienced before or since. Yeah, I, I think it reminded me of watching uh, documentaries talking about uh, Joe DiMaggio's uh, 56-game hitting streak uh, in right. 41. Uh, it reminded me people people talking about that year, even people who weren't Yankee fans. And, you know, baseball was the most important sport at that. But it was just every day there was a, a question, hey, did he get another one? And you didn't even have to say who he was. Um, and it was kind of the same with McGuire and Sosa. All right, so what they do yesterday? You, you you knew what that meant. It uh it it yeah. So it was a gr- it was a great reminder of that one summer that I had in my lifetime where baseball was more important than other things in in in, in our lives. Because normally think, in July we're yeah. getting ready for for training camp. And I do think football. that Sammy Sosa being part of that was massive. Well, well, I mean, talk about the setup when you talk about, you know, people remembering the Red Sox and the Yankees. And I think that was that was big. But again, it was a much shorter period of time. Um, uh, And there was obviously a lot of backstory to it. But with this, you had Sosa and McGuire, the Southern California kid, uh, you know, the big uh, looks like a corn fed Midwesterner. We now know he was a steroid fed Southern Californian. Um, which I know makes you happy, Mark, as you feel Southern Californians are, you know, a notch below Northern Californians as good, good citizens and people. Well, obviously. And then, and then you had a person of color from the Dominican Republic. Right. Oh, by the way, they're playing for probably maybe undeservedly so. But what is possibly the second biggest rivalry in baseball history, at least in terms of length, I guess Giants Dodgers could be argued as well, but they moved cities. But, you know, the Cubs and the Cardinals have always been arch enemies. Um, and uh, despite the fact that the Cubs didn't hold up their end of that bargain anywhere near as often as the as the Cardinals did. But it was just such a great dichotomy. And then these two guys, for whatever anybody wants to condemn them for right now, were known as good guys. They were known as guys, you know, McGuire was kind of quiet. And, you know, as we saw last night in the documentary, um, you know, he he wasn't as comfortable with the press. Sammy just ate it up and had, you know, he was just having a great time and having fun. Uh, And there are, you know, nothing's black and white in these situations. And there were criticisms of Sammy and criticisms of McGuire outside of that. But they were largely thought of as personalities that people like, but playing for these traditional rivals and then assaulting the one thing in baseball that everybody pays attention to the home run. Yep. And, and doing everything they could to keep that alive, to keep that going. And the fact that they were rivals, the fact that that was, not only one guy, but another guy. To me, if Sammy wasn't involved, if Sammy wasn't involved, this would not be a documentary. I'm telling you that right now. If Sam, if it was just McGuire, this would not be a thing. It was the the full engagement on multiple levels of the American public, sports fans and non, was solidified by the fact that there was competition for this thing. Yeah. 
and not from a guy who looks the same or acts the same or is from the same area. But, oh, by the way, Southern California has a very strong reputation for for baseball, for creating, you know, good baseball players. And obviously, so does the Dominican Republic. So to me, that element of Sammy, and if we look, if we apply the lens of today to what's happened, Sammy Sosa, well, let's let's start with Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire has finally been accepted back into the Major League Baseball family. Yeah. Sammy Sosa still can't go to Wrigley Field. Yeah, it just so, seems wrong to me. Well, it is wrong, and it's bullshit, and it's like typical of what we're facing today. It's like, sorry, folks, there is a systemic problem with people that don't look like your quote-unquote average Americans. Well, Sorry. I love to... Mark I McGuire love to, looks the perfect, like the perfect American, and Sammy Sosa isn't. Well, and he's and Mark McGuire has a, a, a post-season life that has now worked itself out, and Sammy Sosa has to stay away. Well, I, I, I also think it's interesting because, you know, for a lot of people who you, you point that out to, they'll point out Sammy Sosa's corked bat from a different season and just say, well, you know, everybody was doing steroids. But look, Sammy was also doing this and cheating. Um, and, you know, any excuse, uh, I guess it's their it's, character it's is worse, John. They're, that's what they're trying to say is their character is inherently worse exactly. than Whitey. No, right. seriously. Yeah, I know. I know. Let's yeah. look at Sammy Sosa. Let's look at that. Like, what? What's going on with that? I, I, I think, I, I don't know that it's Major League Baseball more than it's the Cubs. That the Cubs haven't invited him back. He has been back once, I guess, in uh, 2010, because they said he hadn't been back in about a decade, hadn't been invited back. Um, but I, I would like to see it happen. I have, I have no answers other than, you, Mark, you've laid it out. You've laid it out perfectly. Here are the differences. The only other difference people would say is that McGuire finally came clean. And Sosa. Barely. Still, right. And Sosa still says, you know, it, 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 one of my favorite parts of the documentary was Sosa at the end going, well, you know, why is it me? Every, they, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but literally saying, you know, almost everyone now accepts that steroid use was widespread. And the reason I disagreed with Bob Costas at the end when he was talking about, yeah, it's the steroid era, and we we can't really um, say some of these people are bad guys, but we can look at the records and say, well, if we knew you were using steroids, you know, then your record is is invalid or uh, uh, inauthentic. And I thought, but the problem is, Bob, we don't know who else was using steroids. So inauthentic home run hitter was probably facing inauthentic pitcher. And oh, by the way, possibly inauthentic center fielder who leapt over the wall to rob so-and-so of that hit. It just, you know, it to me, Bob Costas, I'm sorry, that's bullshit. Just just look at the era. Call it the steroid era. We know it is. It's no different than the dead ball era, um, except that, you know, in the dead ball era, yes, people weren't cheating. It was just that the ball was dead. But in the era uh, with and there were uh, no blacks or color kept out of the game stuff. So I, 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 I just think and they talked about it in the in the documentary is that 
for whatever reason, and it's a statistically driven sport, the numbers in baseball are sacrosanct. Yeah, but it, again, why is Sammy not welcome back to Wrigley and Mark McGuire is welcome back totally? I it's guess like, they feel he did not uh, come clean enough. Oh, please. All right, so it's these moral judges, these people that were complicit at the time are now in a position to morally decide who's coming clean or not. You look at Mark McGuire. He's not that far from Lance Armstrong in terms of, hey, I'm not going to. It was all about my mental preparation. Yeah, everyone was doing this on the physical end, but it was about my focus, my mental preparation. He admits that he did it and everyone else did it. Right. But he's not saying I cheated more than anyone else. He's saying I actually achieved something that year. He's still clinging to that. Sure. And I sure. think he did. I, I think, think so he did. Too. No one if everyone was doing it, no one else hit seventy. No right. one else hit seventy. So I don't just I just think it's our it's our want to be consider ourselves at the same time woke. And to consider ourselves at the same time, you know, being able to be uh, on high. It's like you're not woke if you're on high. I'm sorry, you're not. All these freaking people out there that think they know how to purify and judge people. If you're judging people and purifying people and giving people this these tests and, and, and giving all these criteria, you're by definition not woke. You're not so it the same thing's happening in Major League Baseball with Sammy Sosa, and no one's talking about that. But in my opinion, the documentary pointed that out. So All right. you you were you you liked it a little better than I did. I was just a little disappointed. I thought I thought it was going to be a, a little more um, uh, good. <laughs> no, I, I just I thought it was going to be a little more in depth, a little more special report type thing, and it and it really was a little more to to, to the point that we talked about before the show, and I mentioned earlier, a little more of a nostalgic look back at something that was uh, was a really great summer for uh, for many people, and and I agree, but I for me it was a reminder, and and yeah. for me it was a, a a place in history where I could think about wow, look at what look at what happened then. And look at what's happened subsequent to that. Okay, we're going to go back to progressive trivia. Uh, our first four clues. John's already gotten it right, and it's one of the uh, most impressive performances he's ever had with progressive trivia. MVP, played for one head coach my first eight years in the league and five different head coaches my last six years. Apparently, that was the clue that really started going him down that road. Played with Seth Joyner and Bobby Brister. He correctly ignored that. And then lost two bowl games in college to Washington and Tennessee. I will say you were a genius with college football and bowl games and figuring those things out. He had 240-plus TDs. He had a sub-500 record as a starter with 150-plus starts. I think it was 170 or so in the regular season, but an over-500 record in the postseason. Four-time Pro Bowler, played for a head coach in college that also coached in the NFL, and you know who that is, obviously, John Pelkey. I do, indeed. All right, so let's talk about the um, some of the reopening setbacks. I think there's some setbacks that have happened over the last week. You think? Not only has everything spiked in our state, Florida, literally uh, before the weekend, there were three or four consecutive record days of infections. And in Texas, it's happened. Arizona, it's happened. Utah. Georgia. 
Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina. New York literally one day had less new cases than South Carolina. Yeah. And there's like seven people in South Carolina can, compared to 100 million people in New York. Uh, there are issues happening out there right now. And because of that, all of these plans for reopening our sports, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, I don't know. There's There's been a little bit of a slowdown with that. Kyrie Irving, John Pelkey, uh, on, a, on a conference call, not only are they wondering what they should do regarding the Black Lives Matter protests, and we'll get to that in a second, but he was just wondering if they should come back at all. Yeah. He, he, he was actually scared about that. We know that Major League Baseball are yards apart in terms of in terms of finding a way forward with their contract. And you, you said something to me today about college football waivers. Ohio State's giving people waivers. And you said, why would anyone sign the waiver? Yeah, and I guess the Ohio State football waivers, which the team signed, basically is saying that uh, for the players that they will uh, they will be subject to testing uh, throughout. If anybody does test positive, there are mandatory um, uh, quarantine situations and, and everything. It, it wasn't quite like what we've heard about uh, large gatherings that are being planned where people are asked right. to s- sign a waiver saying, you know, they won't sue if they get the disease because they, you know, this is a bad idea. Presidential, uh, uh, you know, presidential. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't quite that bad with Ohio State. But I want to jump back to baseball for a minute because I think it's interesting because um, and not pat myself on the back, but um going to just a little bit because obviously the 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 money thing is that's the continuing situation they can't really come to an agreement on is uh the pay schedule people will say well number of games i mean but that's tied up in the pay schedule but as i mentioned before with the other moving pieces now players are starting to we lost john there mark and the bubble they're going to be in, and i think that's coinciding with people seeing that uh, it it's uh, it's uh, coinciding with people seeing that there are spikes in the number of cases. Yeah. So I think a lot of these players, certainly the NBA, but I think in Major League Baseball as well, we yeah. heard a little bit of it. But now, as it gets to the point where you know they're still talking, still talking, now some people are going, well, no, now hold on a minute, numbers are spiking. We saw today members of the Houston Texans and Dallas Cowboys, including Ezekiel Elliott, have tested positive for. Uh, for the virus. So I think it's it's we're, we're kind of having that uh, perfect storm now of negotiations over money and other things which are very common in sports negotiations coming head to head with the fact that the idea of reopening now is looking a little less uh, rosy than it did before because we've had areas we've had right here in Central Florida. We have had uh, establishments that have shut down because they've had so many people test positive for the virus. Oh, that's and, true. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, there are a couple of there are a couple of establishments, bars around here that said, hey, you know, I, and I don't know any names and I wouldn't throw them out if it did because I don't want to get sued but uh that said mm. hey we've had to uh well that's what people like to do we've had uh even with six, only 18 listeners sure six uh six people test positive over the last week who were at this bar so we're we're shutting down now so i think it's just that perfect storm but i but i really worry about baseball um because they can't get the money thing together unlike the nba 
And they're already now looking at problems that once they do decide on the money, they also have all these other problems that they have to work through. Um, And I think what the NBA is seeing is you can decide on how many games and how much money. But this situation of the virus is not it's not a black and white issue. It's 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 not which we all think situation. we, We thought it was ebbing. I thought it was ebbing, not ebbing necessarily. I know not everywhere anyway. No, and and it's amazing that that New York and all the problems they had had less cases than South Carolina uh, earlier in this week, and it's to and me. Also, we've all agreed on the show too. The other thing is testing is still not where it needs to be. So no, it it's getting better, and it needs to continue to get better, and it needs to be a major focus. There's no doubt about it. But I'll tell you, just from my point of view, and you know, obviously we're all. Well, I should just speak for myself. I'm assuming that a lot of people feel the same way I do. It's like there was an element of hope. And then there were other areas, to your point, John, Major League Baseball negotiations and figuring out logistics with the NBA at Disney, NHL. You know, there's a lot more to deal with. But at least the bottom line was that there's hope. This thing is ebbing and we can kind of figure it out from here on out. And now even that foundation has been there there's a crack in that foundation and it for me personally emotionally it's like oh my god it's like here we go again i feel like we're i i feel like i have to be just as vigilant because i was starting to relax a little bit i still wear masks i still have hand sanitizer i still do social distancing but i didn't feel as paranoid going out and about if i did those things i was relaxing a little bit with everything scary for a man your age Evidently, and it's like, it's like, my goodness, if this if this thing takes a couple of steps back from where we were, then I don't even know how to legitimately prognosticate where the sports are going to be in a month. Because as of, you know, as of last week, we were going to start NBA games July 31st, July 31st, John Pelkey, which is just six weeks away. We're going to start a season. Without fans, probably, but we were going to start. We were going to have live sports again, and I'm not sure that's still on the table. I, only, I, I'm know. not optimistic. I'm not optimistic on all of them. I mean, I, I, I really do think the NBA is going to get up and running to, to uh, some extent because they're also dealing with, you know, the players really want to continue the social justice movement into the season uh, yeah. because they are very visible, and there are a lot of guys – uh, in the NBA right now, the NBA is filled filled with a lot of smart guys who have chimed in on all of this, and they want to keep that that moving. But uh, the, uh, the the main thing has become, I I really believe, is that with players seeing the spikes in some of these numbers, Florida particularly being uh, one of the states, uh, guys are questioning the safety of it all, and um, it's uh, how they're ever going to come to a. Uh, an understanding for, for guys who just don't simply don't feel safe. Um, That's it. Kyrie doesn't feel safe. I worry about that. I worry about that, that, that could really hold things up. And, and with baseball, I think if they'd have made a money issue earlier on, uh, if they decided the money issue, I think, uh, which I think they can decide and they eventually will. um, I, I would obviously feel more optimistic, but I think the longer this goes on, not because they can't come to an understanding, but the longer this goes on, we move into a more um, uh, unpredictable situation with the virus than we thought we were in. I will say this to close this segment up, that Major League Baseball 
above and beyond all of the issues we've just brought up in terms of the virus, it's not resurging. It's we're still in the first wave. It's not a second wave. We've just there's a lot more community spread because we're out and about. I will say Major League Baseball, from everything I've read, it's in the end even not about the money. It's about the principle. It's about standing up. It's about all the bullshit, if you ask me, that Tony Clark gets involved with. It's this idealistic shit that that doesn't see the forest for the trees. It's not about fixing the issue. It's about standing up to a principle. And we're not even talking about social justice. We're talking about unions and management and frankly if you you know normally in terms of politics left is si- left sides with unions right sides with management but you're talking about police unions guess what right sides with police unions left sides with you know management if you will and government telling police unions to to screw off so it's stupid tony clark is an idiot and as long as he is in there, Major League Baseball does not have a very formidable future, if you ask me. All right, let's do our next four clues for progressive trivia. You already know it, John, but our listeners may not. MVP, played for one coach for my first eight years in the league, five different head coaches in my last six years, played with Seth Joyner, Bubby Brister, lost two bowl games in college to Washington and Tennessee, had 240-plus touchdowns, sub-500 record as a starter in the regular season, 150-plus starts, but an over-500 record in the postseason, four-time Pro Bowler, played for a head coach in college that also coached in the NFL, played for three teams, did play in the Super Bowl, born during the Kennedy administration. His rookie season was in Ronald Reagan's first term. In his final home game, he led his team to a comeback victory to seal his only conference title in that particular college, had a like a run of three consecutive college, uh, uh, you know, uh, conference titles in the mid '80s, and then didn't do anything for 20 years, and um, and that's it. You've already guessed it. I want to I want to do our little bubble check with Jeff. Jeff, um, in terms of baseball, in terms of McGuire Sosa, in terms of uh, reopening and all the conundrums therein, anything to add? That's different from John and I's uh, bubble opinion. Yeah, the only thing that I uh, sort of feel differently about is the uh, virus resurging more than we're getting tests. New York was really early in getting a lot of tests and and performing a lot of tests, so it wasn't a huge surprise to me that that New York didn't see all of these more cases. I think I'm not. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I. But I. What I've heard is that this may just be because we're getting more people tested, we're seeing more uh, positive uh, cases. So hopefully that's the case, that uh, we've just started testing people more, and it's not uh, because people are getting back to their somewhat regular lives. I, I mean, Johnny, I think testing is a, is, is a point of that. We've, yeah, we've it is a, seen that. It, it's an element, but, but I think also communi- trace, community they've spread also is the to problem. Trace. They've also been able to trace things back to to uh, to uh, get-togethers and stuff. So, it, and we knew coming out of this, we knew that there were going to be more positive tests when people got together again. We just hoped that you know we we were protecting the people who are the most vulnerable. And again, I'm not a doctor, and I don't I don't know either. Uh, I, I I hope Jeff's right. I I, I believe he's probably I, neither of us are 100 percent right. I, uh, I I do I, I do think that. Um, 
this I look, I've always I've 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 said from the beginning, I think we've opened up things too early. I, too I just I early. just wonder, though, there are there are a lot of people that are getting together in New York also. So I just don't understand why uh, it would be having a different effect in, in these different areas. But, you know, once because again, not a just, doctor. I I. <laughs> after after a certain period of exposure, you have so many people who have been exposed to it. So you build up a, a little bit of a level of, of herd immunity to it. Um, New York was also on the forefront of locking down more than everyone else. These other places were later locking down and then opened up earlier. So, you know, I, I they okay. had protests. <laughs> they, they had a lot of yeah. protests with with New York, but that's it. I, I, and, any- and honestly, the cases that are being that are being diagnosed now, they can only go back two or three weeks. So when they lock things down, that's not necessarily a uh, that, that's not a testament to what's happening now. I think that what's happening now is that people obviously will factor in some of the protests that happened, uh, but they're also looking at Memorial Day celebrations. Memorial Day, it, we were at the um, – at, at any rate, people in Florida, at least in my experience in central Florida, we're, were treating Memorial Day as if it was a normal holiday. And everyone was out and everyone was doing things that – the behavior essentially exhibited that there was never a virus and there never will be a virus. And so I think that's a factor as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but all, but I'm not even saying protests. I mean, and on Long Island, those beaches were just as packed on Memorial Day as anywhere else, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think that people all over the country sort of started to try to get out and, and enjoy life again. And, and uh, I, I hope that it's just a testing thing. I, I don't see I we'll still see. I still don't see a, a large amount of, of it in my own personal life. So. I hope that continues as well. Right. You know, Orange County has somehow uh, skated, uh, and that, that's well, where it, we were part in. Well, part of it is because they did close down as early as, as they did. Was, we're given a lot of credit for things shutting down. And we'll uh, see so. what happens with uh, Universal opening the way they did. I mean, they're open. They're doing indoor shows. They're doing a lot of things. Disney's holding back. We'll see what Universal did. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. And yeah, a lot of people are coming from out of this area, but we we will certainly see Orange County's cases. You know, we'll, we'll see them go up, or or we won't see them go up. It's it's interesting, and it's uh, and I appreciate your perspective on that, Jeff. And I hope you're right. Frankly, I hope it's just a matter of testing. So let's talk about the the social justice stuff that's out there right now. To your point, John, you mentioned it earlier, the NBA players, not only some of them are worried about coming back just for their health, they're worried about how to approach the social justice stuff. Do they, do they protest in favor of Black Lives Matter with the national anthem? What do they do to take advantage of their platform? With the NFL, it's different because there's already an established way to do this. It has been upheld by... Black Lives Matter protesters, it has been um, summarily dismissed by other establishment figures, including the president, including, frankly, the, the rest of the NFL, Roger Goodell and a lot of the owners. But over the weekend or over the last few days, there's been some interesting interesting developments, if you ask me. A Cleveland Browns fan tweeted to Baker Mayfield, please tell me you're not going to kneel 
during the national anthem this year. And Baker Mayfield, and if you ask me, I love his response. This is just me because I love this kind of thing. He said, get your head out. it. Get your head out. Of course I'm going to kneel. And I love that. It's like I'm not going to follow any narrative. And and Nate Boyer, was his name Nate Boyer, the, uh, the uh, yeah. Marine? Yes. He comes out and talks about, hey, here's the flag. Guess what? You're not racist if you love it, and you're not communist or anti-American or disrespecting it if you kneel before it. Okay? It's a, it's a major element of world history. It's on the frickin' moon. And sorry, it represents freedom for most all. And I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield saying that to a Cleveland Browns fan and saying I might lose some fans. I might, you know, and J.J. Watt, people coming at him saying, of course, you're not going to kneel. And he says, hey, guess what? Kneeling has nothing to do with disrespecting the flag or disrespecting the military. Right. If you don't know that now, you haven't been listening. That's J.J. Watt, John. Yeah, somebody actually, I, I think the tweet to, to Watt was initially what he took offense to was they, they even said, I bet J.J. Watt would never disrespect the flag. And that's what he went off on. He said, this is not disrespecting the flag. This is respectful protest and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I think sadly for the folks who don't uh who hate the kneeling. I think the ship has sailed on it at this point. I, 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 I don't think there's any way you can prevent uh, allowing the players to do it. We've already had uh, establishment figures on the right who have admitted that there is systematic racism and it is something that we haven't uh, addressed anywhere near as much as we should. And that this was, and what people did with the Colin Kaepernick thing. And of course there are always, you know, people are always going to argue that Kaepernick didn't do as good a job as he should have, uh, explaining what he was doing. But what really happened was that people changed the narrative on what he did, and then he he had to play defense. It's a pretty good thing to do if you're involved in a political debate with someone is if you can get them on defense and they have to constantly play defense, uh, it, it, it's difficult for them to win. But I think, uh, I think the ship has sailed on that, and I think players who uh, – it, players who voice their displeasure with uh, with the kneeling um, are are going to find it. They're going to have some really difficult conversations in the locker room, and maybe they should. Maybe the lesson of all of this is it's time for us all to have some really really uncomfortable conversations. Well, um, and we talked about that last episode, and that means both sides. You know, yes, that means both yes, sides. absolutely. That that means listening to people saying defund the police is a stupid idea. That means listening to people saying that, you know, if you're not going to if you can't hold two two contrasting thoughts in your heads about the police departments, then you're you're, you're not help. You're, you're not you're not you're not going to help this solution. This is also talking about uh, Black Lives Matter. You know, there was a the, the head the head chapter of the Black Lives Matter of New York City called out Val Demings because she's a cop. Right. She she is so, in my opinion, perfect for this time because she was a cop. But the but the head of Black Lives Matter in New York said, you know, once you put on that uniform, you're no longer black, you're blue. It's to me, it's like, I'm sorry, you need to have some discussions. that's going to move the ball forward as opposed to just getting getting your angst and your granted 400 years of systematic oppression out in a tweet. I get it. I get it. But are, do you want it to be better? 
or do you not want it to be better? To, to, to throw shade onto Val Demings is, to me, ridiculous. I think Jeff, it's valid. I think it's valid. Would you just real quick before Jeff? I think it's really I think it's valid to question anybody. And I think it's valid to say to Val Demings, well, listen, Val, OK, you're talking a good game, but you're also, you know, you're also a uh, a police officer. And, and that's concerning. And I think you need to have the conversation versus to just uh, to, to, to just say unilaterally. Well, because you've been a cop, you, you can't be a part of this conversation. We need everybody to be a part of the conversation. And that includes the people yes. who think completely different from us. Um because if you don't if you yes. don't start understanding where you're coming from, where people are coming from, you're, you're not going to solve the problem. Yes. And Both that's sides. what we all Both want, supp- supposedly. Right, Johnny? We all want to solve the problem. Yes. We, I think we've decided that on this show. We all we, we, the three of us generally do ag- agree on what the problems are. We just don't always agree on what the solution is. And that's fine. That's how you come up with solutions that work for everybody. Exactly. Or at least, you know, some person may have to give a little more than they want on some things, and you have to give a little more. On th- but we can come together and solve problems. But we to do that, we can't retreat to our corner every time. You know, the snowflakes are actually on both sides. I know. The, oh, my gosh. You know, you like we call they, they like to call liberal snowflakes. Everybody's a snowflake when they don't hear when they're hearing things that they don't like anymore. And we can't be that. <laughs> that they we don't want to hear. Exactly. Yeah, if you don't, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? You're going to have to. And, and that is the same reaction from the right and the left. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, full responsibility, both sides. Jeff? On the kneeling thing, I have decided wholeheartedly that I will continue to treat the flag that I want to treat it, the anthem the way that I want to treat it. If somebody wants to kneel during the national anthem on live television, that's their right. I don't have to like it. I don't have to not like it. I can just say, all right, that's your thing, not my thing. Um, as far as uh, social justice goes, I really, really, I'm, I'm a huge uh, proponent of fixing how our judicial system works. Have been for a long time. I think uh, it affects poor people of color poor people of less color it affects everybody negatively what a lot of I, poor people get screwed what, I, yeah no yeah what i what i would like to see is it, it lines up exactly with your with your val dimmings thing who is a person that i'm not a huge fan of but at the same time if she's going to make a difference let her make a difference what val dimmings is not doing is going out and looting stores to make the point and hey I can even agree that maybe that burning things down and looting the stores is what you needed to get the message out there. The message is out there. Let's stop doing that so we can re- you you give people an argument when you do things like that. So from here forward, what I would like to see out of all of those movements is the the peaceful protesting and the conversation happening. Everybody now knows that there's a problem that needs to be that needs to be fixed. We all know it now. There's no reason to be out in the streets causing chaos anymore. The point has been made. So let's bring it back to the conversation. Let's continue in a in a forward way on both sides to try to fix the injustices with our with our judicial system because really there are a lot of arguments happening now that are so discombobulated, and it's because of the fact that we aren't having honest conversations. What when I hear uh, when I hear people coming out and saying that because unfortunately it happened again, 
under all of this light that is that is shown on this now it happened again in atlanta and i literally heard people saying that what was done wrong there is that the police should have let the guy walk home that's a weird argument to have because if i got pulled over for dui i wouldn't be expected to be allowed to walk home and i feel like if 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 you're going to say that you can walk home from a DUI, then we need to change the laws around DUIs where it's either less illegal or not illegal at all. If it, it, Okay, you can't drive drunk, but here's the consequence of that is that you get pulled over and you have to walk home. But right now yeah. you go to yeah. jail for that. And and I, I can't I can't get on on board with whether the shooting was justified or not justified. But what I can say is that when you're when you have a police officer, that's job is to pull someone over or go in this case, not even pull him over. This guy clearly was going to have someone show up to that. He passed out in the drive through line where people couldn't get around him. And they had to have someone come and, and wake him up, and, and it was the police. So when he resists arrest and runs away, takes the taser, fires the taser at the officers, when all of that stuff happens, you put those officers in a weird position, too. Was it justified? Do I wish that that guy hadn't been shot? Of course I do. Do I wish that there had been a different way to handle that? Of course I do. But are we getting to the point now where where, where people think, okay, this isn't going to happen because of all this light on it. It is going to continue to happen. It has now happened in a play in a, in a place where the scrutiny is so heavy on these police officers. You cannot shoot a person of color. You cannot do it. It has still happened. So don't feel so, safe. Don't feel check. safe handling these situations any differently. So a DUI, what does that stand for? Jeff driving under the influence. He was not driving. He was in he the was, uh, so so. Here you he, go, Mark. Mark, he, he, time out, time he, out, time he, out, time out. Having dealt with this with myself in the past, one of my good friends. If you're in a car, the keys are in the ignition, and the car's running. You are driving, whether okay, you, whether it's in drive, park, ha, neutral. Ha, however, however, that is a situation that can be looked at a little bit differently because you're not driving. It's not, but but it it you're can't. You're not putting anyone in danger <laughs> when you're asleep in a driver. Okay, so the law needs to be changed because right now the law is that if you are in the car, the car doesn't even have to be on. If you have the keys on you and you're sitting in the driver's side of the car, yeah. you are driving under the influence and as far as I the law say, says. I will say that that happened to me one time. I was, in, I was, I was parked. The car wasn't on. So, uh, uh, a police officer knocked on the uh, knocked on the thing, and I said I was tired. He he made me step out. I thought he didn't give me a breathalyzer, and I thought I did my. Uh, he had me walk around. He had me do the, the things, and I thought I did a good job with all that. Those things, but he he said you've probably had a, a little too much to drink. Do you have someone to pick you up? Yes. So they can make those decisions yes. in that within the law, Jeff. Okay. And they didn't do that with this guy, and they could have. Okay. That's not being outlandish, suggesting that they do that. That's not outlandish. That's normal. That yeah. happens within this kind of situation. I, it's happened uh, to me. I agree with you uh, 100% that that is an option. The law. It's, with, it's, 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 it's a judgment within the law with that particular thing, right? And he was being cooperative. Well, and it goes back to what Jeff was saying in the show about training. And I think we're seeing more and more of this is that if, if, if officers are uh, – 
expected to be the first line uh, that we deal with when it comes to the law, they should probably know the law better than some of them do. I mean, we've seen that, too, where guys think they can just willy nilly, you know, walk up to somebody, go, well, show me your ID. And it's like, oh, oh." I mean, there's been those as well. So I think that to your point, Mark, there needs to be additional training. And yes, none of these situations should ever escalate to the point where anybody gets shot in the back. Uh, while running away in the back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you that's you know, thing, I, 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 I totally agree with you. I, th- he shouldn't be shot in the back, but the argument is being lost that he took the cops taser and fired it at them and they shot yeah. him. Now, of no, course, I, the other end of that is I once the taser is fired once, the, the one that he had, that type, he can't fire it again. And there are a lot. Look, it, it, yeah. yeah, he shouldn't have ended up I, the way it, he did. And, and, and that's really my point is that yes. for 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 the african-american community don't think that because this stuff has such a a spotlight on it that things are going to be handled any differently they're not it's still not okay to try to do these things please don't it's illustrating not just you know everybody's illustrating oh they're all these bad people but i think it's illustrating that we have serious issues with uh uh in law enforcement officers and training and on every level of law enforcement uh, training, uh, how uh, district attorneys uh, across the board, to Jeff's point, we need reform of all of these things. And we're starting to see some of that because it's expensive for for people who are the taxpayer people. It's like, why? Wait a minute. I'm paying how much for this guy who got caught with two ounces of weed and he's now been in jail because of three strikes you're out or whatever bullshit law was put there. We have to keep him in jail. We want to prevent him from from doing anything else. I'm paying how much to house him and feed him? Gee, I don't know if it was illegal. Couldn't couldn't that have been some sort of uh, uh, uh couldn't they have done some work around the community, community service work to work it on? I mean, we, I, those discussions are starting to ha- happen, and, and you're right. That needs to happen. I would say the two things in this country, if I could change everything, anything, it would be that there would be uh, reform of the uh, uh, of uh, this the policing system we have. I do away with private prisons and all of that, and uh, campaign finance reform. I mean, I think those two things would change uh, – the complexion for the better for everyone. And I think everyone would see that relatively quickly. And and also if I'm innocent until proven guilty, unless I'm a danger to society, I shouldn't be sitting in jail. If I can't afford bail until my court date, if I'm innocent, I should be allowed to go. But I get it. If there's a guy out there that, you know, just arm robbed a bank. okay, hold him for a little while. (laughs) Probably probably don't want to let him. (laughs) Or or maybe, by the way, if it's that bad where you don't want to let this guy go, move him to the front of the line and get him into court immediately. Because I think that's one thing that's extremely lost in all of this is that you're supposed to get your justice quickly. You should not sit in jail for over a year waiting for your court date. That is absolutely insane. And the other side of that is if you've embezzled $10 million, you shouldn't get any bail whatsoever because you probably got enough money stashed away to get your ass out of the country and never come back. But if your court court date was the next day, that wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter at all. Hey. 
You're yeah, guilty. So I, I, I agree that that's the reform that needs to happen. And hopefully and I think for the people out in the streets and, and I'll just wrap this up my portion of this with this. The people are out in the streets still uh, protesting. We're seeing uh, there, there's a lot fewer incidents of violence, thankfully so. And yeah. some of that is to, you know, people settling down and to the fact that, as, as we <laughs> joked about on the show many times, uh, people's team wins a Stanley Cup and they'll burn a car over, you know, people run out of steam with that sort of thing. There's also been law enforcement. A lot of law enforcement agencies are dealing with it much in a much better way. Um, and that's all happening. I think the reason people are staying out there is because what we desperately don't want this to want to happen is for all of us to have gone through all of this and then just forget about it. And they want to make sure that we're not forgetting about it. Um, and I, and, and I, I think there will be segments of society that, that do forget about it. But I think we have enough people now and uh, many of the right people involved to say, OK, we we can't platitudes don't mean anything anymore and we can't just throw money at problems we have to look at the systematic problems as to why some communities stay in poverty uh and why some communities are so heavily over policed and uh, and and i think we're we're going to have those conversations i i'm i'm hope, more hopeful about that than i am a a a reasonable baseball series season that's good and i think to your point about criminal True criminal justice reform, true uh, police reform in terms of training, in terms of learning how to not immediately go to excessive force and the like. Campaign finance reform, huge. I would add gerrymandering to that, that we just eliminate that. Yeah, exactly. But I would also add the way we finance education in this country, we literally finance it through property tax. So the poorer districts get less money and the richer districts in in a public school situation have the equivalent to a private school education. And I mean, you 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 bring it up all the time, John Pelkey, follow the money, follow the money. I don't know why. If we're all paying the taxes. And I know in some poor communities, they're not paying those taxes. They, they, well, by definition, they're not paying property taxes because uh, in, in a lot of those poor communities, they, they don't own anything. Nobody owns any property. But right. if they own something, it's not worth anything. You And it's like, can we please give equal opportunity from the get to you, everyone? Yeah. It's, it's, and. Go ahead. You're reading from my book. This is this is an argument that I've made so many times, and I've got a solution for it. I say that uh, it's state sales tax, and that's what pays for schooling, and it's equally distributed among all schools. And then you no longer have this problem of good schools and good neighborhoods and bad schools and bad neighborhoods. If you do have that problem, then it's the people running those schools. There's no excuse anymore. Now, the only problem is is that state, state sales tax is demarcated to a certain area. What happens to those certain areas if it's all funneled to education? Well, no, you, you no longer are paying property tax that covers the school, so that amount of taxation is gone. So you'll take that half-penny extra sales tax, which would easily cover the, the schools. One penny, and so tax. all the property taxes that people pay would be to cover the stuff that sales tax normally would. Type that, of thing, or, or just the schools, which are a major chunk of property taxes, would be gone. So the your ta- your property tax would go right. down significantly. Yeah, it'd be moving money, but it would be moving money in a way where it was it was aimed more properly. It was it's easier to disperse that way. 
and it's more equidistant in terms of the dispersion of it. It's uh, it's very good. It's like you know, it's interesting, John Pelkey and and Jeff, in terms of making the money or taking money from people. We want to be careful about not being too socialistic, obviously. But in terms of dispersing the money, we should be more sto- socialistic when it comes to everyone's school. already paid. <laughs> and let's try and met this out equally. Yeah. I don't think there's any problem with that. If it's if no one's having to spend any more money, the the, the rich are only spending another half cent in tax. It is technically Jeff a regressive tax because they're they're spending a half cent more, and so are the poor people. So it obviously affects the poor people more in but, that sense. But, but it affects them positively more also because their does, schools because now are getting the, the same amount funding. of money. And here's my thing. You can you can make that argument to a conservative person because you say, hey, you can't say that it's it's a socialist or communist thing because we're only doing it to children that are that aren't out there taking advantage of the system anyway. They are inherently going to be taking advantage of a system whether it be their parents the schools so on and so forth so all we're doing is saying that we're going to equally tax everyone and equally give that money out to those children who are under our care regardless so it's it's not necessarily a tax that can be that's not saying that's not the same when you make an argument of hey let's let's increase your taxes so that we can uh, give out more welfare it's not the same thing. You can't make the argument, well, that guy's just not having a job because he's making so much money off of welfare. Well, that's a child. They can't work anyway. Give them the money so they can get proper education. I love it. I argued from the side of where I would have argued. So <laughs> I just said, I yeah, yeah, there you go. It. All right. For a progressive trivia MVP, played for one head coach my first eight years, five different head coaches my last six years. I think that's a fascinating clue, personally. Played with Seth Joyner and Bubby Brister. That clue totally designed to throw people off. Last two bowl games in college, lost two bowl games to Washington and Tennessee. Thought that was pretty uh, innocuous, but not not according to not with John Pelkey. Not with that guy. I didn't guy. know the teams. I just I knew he didn't have success postseason in college. It's, there you go. I'm down to two guys here. What's that? I'm down to two guys here, and it literally hinges on the coaching because I can't remember how long one of the guys was with one of the coaches. Right. 240 plus TV. Oh, so you sent that email just to me, John. You didn't send it to the after oh, I didn't see. Review. I didn't see John. Oh, no, I think I, 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 I meant to send it to the after further review, but I probably just with the first one. Yeah, I'm old. I, I send wrong texts all the time. I like well, it that way good. anyway Jeff's because still I still get game. to think about it. When I get your answer, usually I just check out a progressive trivia where I had to keep thinking about this one. That's nice. 240. So good job, John Pelkey. 240 plus touchdowns, sub 500 record as a starter, and he started in over 150 games in the regular season, but an over 500 record in the postseason. And he's a four time Pro Bowler, played for a head coach in college that also coached in the NFL. At least two teams, in my mind, John Pelkey, right? Two teams for that coach? Uh, yeah. San Diego and Detroit? Yes. Which yes. is going to help Jeff. Right. Uh, three teams played in the Super Bowl, born during the Kennedy administration. Rookie season was in Ronald Reagan's first term in his final home game. and led his team to a comeback victory to seal his only conference title. They won three in a row. Uh, following that, or two in a row, so it was three total. And then they didn't win another conference championship for a long time. And um, the answer, Jeff, do you have a guess? I just sent it to you. You should be able to see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is right, Norman Esiason. Norman J. Esiason, <laughs> otherwise known as Boomer. Well done, well done. All right, on Wednesday. And he played at Maryland, and he, uh, he was there when I was still in Northern Virginia, and my best friend played at Virginia. And uh, so I, you know, I was watching a lot of college football because that's how I knew that Boomer didn't have a lot of success in the postseason. But interestingly enough, it was the it was the head coach thing that got me because I remember he was with the Jets, and I believe the Jets once had four head coaches in three weeks at one point. <laughs> and I believe Rich Kotite made it. My, Rich Kotite may have been fired and then been replaced by Rich Kotite at one point with the Jets back then. So yeah, it wasn't. He Boomer had a great career, but boy, the end of Boomer's career was uh, boy. Talk about going out with a whimper, not a bang. Yeah, he he was on the Jets, and literally every year he had a new head coach. He was there three years, and he had a different head coach every year. He would have had six different head coaches if Coslett hadn't gone from the Jets to Cincinnati again when he when he finished his career there. <laughs> Rich Cotite, Bruce Coslett, man, I tell you, and then a- Pete Carroll, and Pete Carroll was the third one. That's the human. That's that, that's the you know. Hey, uh, what is your is your team going to tank for a first round draft choice? Uh, let me see. <laughs> hey, look, we we just signed Rich Cotite. So yeah, yes. Maybe wasn't Al Grow available? Good lord. Ooh, it's Al funny. Grow. It's funny to go over these teams that have long term sucktitude and see the coaches that they that they move on from too quickly, like Cleveland with uh, what's the guy's name that Cleveland uh, decided to only give <laughs> a couple of yeah, and well, and, that, and then Pete Carroll in the with the Jets. It'd be interesting to see if uh, and you know this is a story for a different show, but had had the Browns not been leaving Cleveland, I think Belichick would have stayed there. I think it just gave them a really good excuse to cut him loose, yeah, and and, and start over again. Because if you look at you, he he had had success at, in Cleveland, and really when all the talk started about the team uh, leaving, and you know it, it was just a really really bad situation. Nobody's happier about it than Bill. Belichick no, it worked out well. Point. There is somebody that is probably Robert Kraft might be a little bit happier too. Yeah, he's probably he's probably a little happier as well but boy isn't that the truth boy that's a that's a discussion for another day is that if you're changing coaches every two and a half years yeah. I, there's a forget pretty good about chance forget you, there's it. just not a long a, a, a big enough uh, set of clues to tell you what you're going to have um and colleges do it as well the only sport that it works in as you know mark ferrera is the Hockey. nhl because you can the change NHL, coaches four times a season They'll cut. They'll have a guy win the Stanley Cup in like May, early June, in June, and then he goes like one and five at the beginning of the next season. He's out of there. He's gone. Or he wins the Stanley Cup and they just let him go. Barry Trotz. There are coaches who are in the middle of the playoffs that they let go. They've got their teams to the playoffs, and they're maybe in the second round, and they let them go. I think that happened with the 76ers one. I mean, not this, uh, the Flyers one year. Yeah, It's just crazy. It's a cold, cold sport. Uh, <laughs> but very it, is, nice. it is remarkable if you're not an NHL fan, you don't. It, it, it is the sport where cutting a coach loose in the middle of a season, which in really any other sport is just talk about waving the white flag. Yeah. Right, we're going to fire our coach. In the NHL, teams have done that and then gone on to win the cup. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. It's, it's the equivalent of changing campaign managers midstream. Yeah. We saw in 2016 you could have three campaign managers yep. and still win an election. So hockey coaches, campaign managers in the same 
in the and same does ballpark. Mean? Does that mean I hockey just, coaches are more important than we think they are? Because somebody would go, oh, they can change them in this team. They're not that important. And my whole thing is, well, I don't know. The team sucked. And then this guy came in. All of a sudden, they went deep into the playoffs. Maybe it's more important than we think it is. I don't. I don't. I think what it is is that yeah, it depends on your point of view. You're basically you need a coach that knows how to change the line and basically let the team play the way they play. It, the, outside of that, a campaign manager just needs to let the the candidate be the candidate. You know, with with Donald Trump in 2016, he had three campaign. He had Corey Lewandowski. He had Paul Manafort. And whoever he had after that, I, I forget. I just, who I just, was. I just got a tweet. Diego Segui. I just got a tweet Diego that the, uh, the the Cleveland Browns were listening to After Further Review live, and uh, they've just hired Steve Bannon to be their next head coach. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> He'll do anything to win. By God, he'd be good. He'd be yeah, good. Well, well, you know what, Jeff? Perfect transition because you can listen to After Further Review live. Starting next Monday, we're going to do our little soft opening with YouTube on Wednesday, and we're going to launch on Monday, uh, where you can actually listen to us live and comment on the show live. Not going to do anything with our podcast. We're going to upload it to the podcast immediately after, just like we do in the past. But we're kind of trying. We're, we're expanding, John Pelkey. We're trying to. We're trying to open our arms to other listeners who yes. are outside of our immediate family or friends that we've had for 40-plus years. Yes, and because we, we're trying to desperately monetize this, as always, folks, follow the money. Right. Or lack thereof. We've made very—well, I've made zero money in my chosen profession. John, you've made a few bucks, but A couple probably, dollars here and there. Probably less than 1000 in the Oh, in the, considerably in the less than 1000 <laughs> Good Lord. So regardless, we're looking to try and somehow make money again, uh, and and uh, we'll do what we can. But, uh, yeah, look forward to the YouTube next week. Uh, at some point in time, we're going to do a little soft opening. We're going to try and figure this whole thing out. All right, we're ready to go. This has been a long show, but a solid show, relatively funny at times, poignant, uh, diverse. You stop setting the bar so high. Look, people listen to it. They'll make up their own minds, for God's sake. You're stop right. telling people how to feel. I Jesus. know. Good Lord. It. Folks, we've reached the end of the show, and I think you'll agree that that segment on the McGuire and Sosa made us feel poignant, and we reminisce to simpler times. Shut up! I just heard it. God almighty. Well. I hear you. I hear you. God I think well. we got about all of that. Was, it was a good guy. I'm so influenced by uh, people telling me how to feel that I immediately go ahead and do the same thing. Johnny, anything else at the close of the show? Anything to add? I oh, have please. I have nothing to add uh, other than my good. my <laughs> My hope for a Major League Baseball season is on a steady downward curve right now. Now, Apparently, before we go, yes, the one thing I want to add. Apparently, the the players have asked that the owners uh, in Major League Baseball put forward by tonight their proposal as to how many games. This is it. You're now in charge. How many games is it going to be? So I don't know what that means 100%, but they've drawn some sort of line in the sand. Um, I don't know if it's going to work, but at this point, for somebody who wants to see baseball— Maybe, maybe that's what has to happen at this point. Somebody's got to draw a line in the sand, and maybe they can come to a uh, maybe they can come to a decision. But again, steady downward spiral on my uh, hope for a major league baseball season, which a month ago was sky high, and it's now 
walking down into the base. I, re- I really thought when you said the Major League Baseball players are demanding, I thought you were going to say self-immolation of the owners. I just thought that. I don't know why that came to mind. But. Wow, not they, they won't even accept Shame. if someone takes them. Shame. If so, Shame. so if someone takes somebody uh, like Joan of Arc and burns them at the stake, that's not good enough. No, no, no. no, no. I need you to walk into the middle of the street, douse yourself with gasoline, and say goodbye to Hollywood, pal, because that's the only way I'm going to know how many of the owners. I mean, is there a number? Is it all the owners? That seems like an overreach. What would be the number that they would? I think eight. All right, fair enough. Eight is the number of self-immolation examples that have to happen for Major League Baseball. But that's what I thought you were going to say. No one else is, is, is... you know, proposing that as an option. Jeff, anything else to add before we go? I just hope Steinbrenner is one of the eight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair, Fair enough. enough. I think my that Orioles does it. Nod. That's after further review for Monday, episode 29, possibly 30. We're not sure. We'll uh, talk to you soon, folks. Stay safe.